It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. 96% of Grammarly users say that it helps them craft more impactful writing. Would you agree? Grammarly helped adjust my tone to navigate tough work conversations. And it works everywhere I write, so I can quickly communicate effectively. Your teammate used Grammarly to summarize an important document, making a three-pointer. How did he do it? It only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. You made an incredible slam dunk to end the game. The meeting was canceled, and your team will go home champions. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done. Jackson Gatlin here, host of the Monday edition Locked On NBA podcast. Every Monday, I cover the three biggest stories in the NBA with the local experts from Locked On. It's an awesome recap of the weekend of the NBA and a look at what's ahead. Mark your calendars on Monday to join me for Locked On NBA podcast, available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. You are Locked On Thunder, your daily Oklahoma City Thunder podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Let's get it going on the Locked On Thunder Podcast on the Locked On Podcast Network, your teams every day. I am your host, media member and founder of BricktownBuckets.com, Rylan Styles. You can follow me on Twitter at Rylan underscore Styles. It's at R-Y-L-A-N underscore S-T-I-L-E-S. You can follow the show on Twitter at L-O Thunderpod. Email the show, L-O Thunderpod at gmail.com or call into the show, 405-362-7128. On today's show, we're going to be recapping the Oklahoma City Thunder pulling off their first win of the year in their season opener against the Charlotte Hornets, 109-107. to First of all, what we knew coming into the game was that rookie Tail Maldon would be active. If you remember, he's been out for personal reasons. Many people have assumed that that's for getting his visa, which is what was reported by a French outlet. We have still not gotten confirmation on why he was out, but he was back tonight. Darius Miller was also back tonight, although he did not play coach's decision. He was available. And Darius Miller has been dealing with a return-to-play program as he rehabs from that Achilles, did not play in the preseason. He was not going to play against the Rockets had that game been played, but instead he was available tonight. Again, did not play anyway. Ty Jerome remains out until further notice with that left ankle sprain. Uh, Mark said before the game he wanted to do a 9-10 to man rotation. He played all 10 guys in the first quarter. Uh, the, the Thunder started out with Shea, George Hill, Lou Dort, Darius Baisley, Al Horford. And as we talked about in the preview, it's a lot easier to start George Hill with that starting group if you do have Teo Maldon to run your second unit. And we saw Mark be able to do that as Teo is back in the lineup. Before the game, Oklahoma City was two and a half point underdogs. Remember when we recorded our preview, there was no line out there. But Oklahoma City was plus two and a half, and I took them at plus two and a half. Uh, And then also, this was a matchup between the sixth and seventh youngest teams 
in the NBA. So, of course, it was a fun one. The, the biggest storyline of this game has to be SGA. I mean, Shea was incredible as the lead ball handler. And there were some ups and downs in this game. You knew there was going to be some growing pains as Shea turns into the guy in Oklahoma City. He had five turnovers. Obviously, not ideal, but again, he is still growing, still learning the position, still learning how to lead this team. So you can excuse the five turnovers. But he did so many other things well. He was setting up his teammates well. He was controlling the offense well while being under control himself. The nine assists were incredible. And again, the poise he showed during the stretch of that game, the final minute where the Thunder keep turning it over and the Hornets keep nailing threes and eventually the Hornets tie this game up when the Thunder had this game sealed away up 10 with like two minutes to go and it just all came crumbling down. The the composure and, and, the, and the leadership that Shea showed during that stretch was incredible. And of course, resulted in him hitting the dagger to win the game against Charlotte, the team that drafted him, the team that first traded him away to L.A. and then L.A. trades him to Oklahoma City. This was incredible for him, I'm sure, as this is his first game being the face of the franchise. And he answers with a game winner, going 40% from the field on his way to 24 points. And he gets those nine assists and he gets seven rebounds to go along with that. Of course, the three-point shot was not falling for him. It didn't fall for hardly anyone. I mean, the only people with multiple three pointers that went down was George Hill with four and Mike Muscala with two. The shots weren't falling. You could tell this was the team's first game of the year for sure, but they still played incredibly well. With Shea, the biggest part about his game that stood out to me was his ball handling ability. And I'm not so sure if that's something you can attribute to him working on or improving or just something you can say that he's been able to show off more in this lead ball handler role. But, but each and every possession almost, you could see that the defense was on their heels and that he had guys he had guys breaking down and and he was able to exploit the defenders and they they couldn't really stay in front of him and even on that last possession the game winning shot where everyone knew that was going to be Shea's ball and it was going to be Shea's shot he had his defender backpedaling right Cody Martin is a really good defender for that Hornets team he just had no chance i mean he he created so much separation by doing a simple dribble move between the legs and and, and coming back with a crossover move to get that jump shot and to get so much separation from Martin, that was an awesome play for him, but it really put on display his improved ball handling. And again, I'm not sure if it's improved or if it's just something that he's gotten to show off more, but it was very impressive to watch Shea work in that aspect. Shea has had to deal with a lot of change in his NBA career so far. The reduced role his rookie year in LA, getting traded for Paul George, a bona fide all-star in this league, and then getting put on a team that had relatively no expectations, but then you're overperforming everyone's expectations and you're playing this massive role as a starter and you're leading the team in scoring in your second year. And then your third year, the keys of the franchise are just turned over to you and this is all on you. And you're getting plays drawn up for you at the end of the first game while you're sharing a floor with 13 and 14 year veterans. It's all on you now. He's had to deal with so much change and to see him step up in the face of all that change each and every time is encouraging for you whenever you look at this guy and want him to be a big building block of your franchise. Clearly, this, this organization, clearly Coach Mark Dagnott has a lot of faith in him and a lot of trust in him, and that play showed it, and he was able to deliver. But Darius Baisley also was a big-time performer in this game, one of your other young, hopeful building blocks. Darius Baisley showed again, and he continued to show in the preseason, but he got to do it on the real stage tonight his aggressiveness, and his want to have the ball in his hand. He took 12 
field goal attempts. He had five before the five-minute mark in the first quarter. He was able to score at a 58% clip from the floor. This guy was really good in this first game with 10 rebounds to boot, and he was able to mix it up down there and show you that that was not just him exploiting a Rockets matchup last year in the bubble with no center. He is actually a legitimately good rebounder. And I personally love when Darius Baisley gets defensive rebounds. He had nine of them tonight. And he's able to just grab them off the rim and just run the whole length of the floor. Set up your offense and let you continue to run this high-tempo style and exploit transition each and every time. But Baisley's aggressiveness mixed with his ability to finish the rim. And, and not just wildly drive in and, and jack up shots, but to truly stay under control and keep that body control and, and allow it to translate into making shots. I mean, again, shooting 58%. From the floor is really good for a second-year player who is, again, changing his role. Just like Shea is, Baisley is becoming a starter now. Baisley is becoming a scoring option now. Not just a complimentary piece, but a legitimate go-to scoring option. This is all different for him, and he's already stood up to that test in this first game. He also got two blocks on the defensive end and a steal, and we have heard him talk all offseason long and all throughout training camp about his want to be better on the defensive end. He wants to be a legitimate defender. He wants to be what Lou Dort is, and he wants to get those top assignments. He said as much, and he played a really good defensive game. And Mike Muscala praised him after the game. Mark Dagnott praised him after the game on his defensive ability and, and his defensive performances. And he came up to the media availability, and he thought he did not play very well on defense. And he said that, you know, that was not up to his standards. And he wants an opponent, whenever they're asked in their media availability, how was it going up against Baisley? He wants them to say that they, that they felt him every single possession and every single time down the floor. And he says he does not think that that's the case tonight. And to see a young guy who's getting praised both publicly in the media and I'm sure in that locker room after the game about his defense and who put up the stats. I mean, statistically speaking, if you get a couple blocks and a steal on defense, everyone's going to assume you had a pretty good night defensively. And even on the eye test, if you just watch that game, he was always in position. He was always staying in front of guys. He played a really good defensive game. But to do that and to take that and say it wasn't good enough for you and you want to keep building. And Shea has that same mindset. All of these young guys have this mindset of, I want to get better. I want to play harder. I want to do more. I want to do more. I want to do more. Even as their roles change, even as this franchise continues to invest more and more in them on and off the floor. Even with all of that, they're continuing this, I want to be better, I want to continue to develop. And that's a great mindset to have for any player, but specifically, that's a great mindset for these players to have with this developmental coaching staff, one of the best in the NBA. So that mindset mixed with this coaching staff is going to result in these three guys taking such a massive leap this year. And you got to see a little bit of that. Each and every possession tonight, there is so much to take away from this game. The first game of the year finally happened. Baisley played well. Shea played well. We've still got to talk about Lou Dort. We've got to talk about the veterans, and we've got to talk about so much more coming up on the Locked on Thunder podcast. No matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax experts make them count. Did you say no to a big wedding and elope at the county courthouse? That's a move. Did you go back to school to get your degree? That's a move. Did you relocate for a fresh start? Well, that's literally a move. Maybe you moved into a houseboat instead of a house house, or switched gears from rideshare driving to video game streaming, or you rode the stock market to the moon and back. TurboTax experts make all your moves count, getting you every credit and deduction you deserve. 
file with 100% accuracy, and get you your max refund guaranteed. So switch to TurboTax. Make your moves. They'll make them count. See guarantee details at TurboTax.com guarantees. Experts only available with TurboTax Live. We're back on the Locked On Thunder podcast, a part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your teams every day. I am your host, Rylan Styles. You can follow me on Twitter at Rylan underscore Styles. This is the only daily podcast about the Oklahoma City Thunder. So we've talked about Shea. We've talked about Baisley. Now I want to talk about Lou Dort, the third young piece on this team. And he played very well, I think. Again, did not have the best shooting night whatsoever. He was one for four from beyond the arc. He was at 41% from the floor, going five for 12. They're not the best game offensively from beyond the arc, but still contributes. And that's the big thing here, right? That's the big difference in him and Andre Robertson. He plays immense defense. He plays incredible on that end of the floor. And he's also a huge addition on the offensive end because he has amazing cuts and he's an amazing cutter and his cuts have gravity to them. You hear all the time about, about, What's your gravity when you're on the three-point line? How much can you take a defender out of position? Or, or how much do they have to respect you off the ball? And how much do they respect your shot? Whenever you see Lou Dort cut across the middle and cut towards the paint and, and go towards the rim, it freezes the defense. And it happened in this game specifically. Whenever he's making a cut and he's going making a, a V-line for the basket, and just as he gets to the block, a guy comes off of Mike Muscala in the corner to that lower block, and Muscala's wide open for three in the corner. I want that option 10 times out of 10. If I can give Muscala a wide open three, I'm going to take that 10 times out of 10 and Lou Dort's ability to cut and the respect he has when cutting got Muscala that, that, that option and that, and that opportunity. It is so impressive to watch Lou Dort play because while he does not have an, a, a great three pointer yet, I do still strongly believe that he will eventually develop into an average three point shooter and that it will be a big deal for his game. He went four for four again from the free throw line. That's 100% from the free throw line. And many people, including myself, take that as a positive that eventually, if you continue to shoot at a high clip from the free throw line, which Lou Dort has always done in college and the NBA, eventually that'll translate to shooting well from beyond the arc. And for him, whenever that does translate into going to like a 33, 34, 35% shooter from beyond the arc, he'll be a great player because you have to factor in that defense. So if you become a 35% shooter from beyond the arc and you take this from 15 points to like 17 points, maybe 20 points a night, and you're still playing lockdown defense on the likes of James Harden, that's going to elevate your status. And Lou Dort has that potential because he's a really good cutter. He's amazing with the basketball in his hands from his point guard nature and his point guard background, I should say. And so when you take that and you realize all of that, and then you realize the player he already is to this day, Lou Dort is a massive part of your future because if he never progresses, which is highly unlikely for a 21-year-old, but if he never progresses from this point forward, and this is just the NBA player that he turns into, it's a heck of a contributor. It's a starting level player who can go out there and take on the number one scoring option on each and every team and allow you to free up the rest of your squad on the defensive end and take that pressure off of you. This is an amazing addition, especially as he's playing for peanuts for Sam Presti. And if again, if he progresses at all from the perimeter, that opens up his game even more to become a great all-around player, not just a great defender. Lou Dort had a really good game in this first contest. 
Now, I want to transition into the veterans real quick because they do deserve some shine as well. And specifically, George Hill. George Hill, I think, is going to be an incredible addition to a contender in March. But for now, he is fun to watch. I could watch George Hill line up a three-point shot all day long. And I'm not sure if he's going to miss a three-point shot. I'm not sure if I went to an open gym and just told George Hill to continue to shoot all day, if he would miss a single shot. He goes four for four from beyond the arc tonight, uh, goes eight for nine from the floor. George Hill was a steady hand for Oklahoma City. And when these games had those ebbs and flows, right, your, your starting unit comes in, they do a really good job, they keep you within two. Your bench unit that first time, the first time the bench unit hits the floor, they were atrocious, and they let the game slip away a little bit. And that's when the, the talks of tanking started. And then all of a sudden, you get George Hill back in there. You get Shea back in there. And the offense settles down. The composure and the leadership that George Hill provided was Huge. And again, it's not only the leadership, it's the production. It's 21 points. It's a steady hand offensively. It's someone who you can throw him the ball and he can go get you a bucket when your offense stalls. He was massive tonight with the four rebounds, three assists, and again, the 21 points and, and the great shooting percentages. George Hill deserves a ton of credit for what he did. And the way that he's, again, embraced this culture, embraced this, this organization, and embraced these young guys, even if it's only until March. And then with Al Horford, did not have the game you would want from the stats perspective, but on the floor watching him, he filled his role well. I mean, what kind of what what kind of 15-year veteran would go have a three-point game where he's not getting very many touches? He only gets five attempts, but he still goes and hauls in 13 rebounds, gets three assists, gets a block, and does not complain whatsoever while doing so. And does not make a fuss about this in the media, does not talk about this at all. He still had a massive impact while only getting five attempts. And that's my biggest issue with all of this. George Hill was fantastic. Al Horford needs more touches. I want to see the offense run through him more. I want to see him in pick and pops and pick and rolls more with Shea. But I want to see sets designed for Al Horford to get the ball and, and to make decisions and make reads and to get shot attempts. Al Horford can be utilized so much more, and we've seen it in the preseason. But that's another thing that Al Horford did not force anything. He was content with taking five attempts. He was fine with it. He just wanted to play within the flow of the offense. But I do want to see Al Horford expand that role a little bit in game two. And then one more veteran is Mike Muscala. And Mike Muscala getting legitimate minutes, goes five for eight from the floor, hits two threes, scores 14 points, was decent enough on the defensive end, but obviously he's no defensive-minded player. He's not going to be a plus defender for you, but he was decent enough. I mean, he was not just getting embarrassed out there, but he did mention in the postgame that he needs to get better on that end of the floor. But still, it was not just a glaring issue with Muscala on that end. All in all, he performed pretty well, and I think that he's creeping into that valuable commodity and that valuable asset. He's on a really cheap contract. It's an expiring deal, and he won't cost that much. So at the deadline, could a team that wants an offensive spark plug at the end of their bench, would they dive into Mike Muscala, a stretch five? I think that they absolutely would. I think that that's just another option for you as a bench scorer and as a as another look you can give someone with a stretch five if you don't have it already in your starting lineup or if, or if you don't have it already in your second unit. Mike Muscala, I think, could be on the move come March because he's just going to be so valuable because what other stretch five can you get that can shoot the three ball as well as he can how can you get something like Mike Muscala for anything less than a second-round pick? I mean, he's going to be dirt cheap to have at the deadline, I think. And if I'm a contending team, I gladly trade away a second-round pick for Muscala's 
three-point range and what he can provide a second unit in the NBA, in the playoffs, or even just as a random spark plug for you if he's not in your actual rotation. But Mike Muscala played extremely well. So I want to talk now about the rookies, right? That's going to be a big storyline, too, throughout this year, as this year is mainly about development and about how these guys progress and about what this team even is and what these players even are. We start with Alexei Pukashevsky. He got 10 minutes, you know, almost 11 minutes in this game. He goes 0 for 6 from beyond the arc, does not take a shot from inside uh, the three-point line, gets four rebounds still, gets a block and a steal, uh, plays pretty well defensively, all things considered. Uh, obviously, does not have the shots go down offensively, but he was fearless and shot the ball at well still. Uh, his shooting form needs some work, but nonetheless, he was aggressive and fearless, got 11 minutes in this game. You know, it was good to see him confident and to see him on his birthday and his NBA debut still look poised and under control. All things considered, it was a pretty good debut. I mean, he looked like he belonged out there. He did not look overwhelmed. He played the best defense he could. <laughs> and and that, of course, will take some, some time to get up to standards. But I think that 10 minutes a night is good for him, especially in this first month of the year, to get him accustomed to NBA lifestyle. I'm not sure this matchup was the best for him, X's and O's wise, so I'll give him a pass there. And of course, if three of those shots go down, we're talking so differently about this game. But the fact that he got open looks, he took open looks, uh, and he did not really force anything. I never felt like a shot he took was, whoa, slow down, Alexei, the way we the way we did you know, in that Spurs preseason game. I never thought that about him tonight. He played very well. Uh, he passed the first test, right? He didn't not want to see him overly aggressive. You do not want to see him just shell-shocked. He was just Poku tonight, and the shots didn't fall. What can you say? Uh, but Teo Maldon did get to play in this one. I hated every minute that Teo Maldon and Hemadu Diallo shared the floor where Hemadu Diallo was the point guard. I think that they play off each other pretty well, all things considered back there, but I just want Teo Maldon to bring the ball up the floor every single time off a of make, uh, more so than Hemadu Diallo. But Teo Maldon, you could tell that the game sped up for him a little bit after uh, switching over from the preseason to actual defensive intensity. And Mark said that, you know, he could tell that this was a look that they'd never seen before, Alexei and Teo, of just that, the intensity that Charlotte played with in this game on the defensive end. And you saw that in the Maldon four turnovers. But he still took the shots when he had it. He goes 40% from the floor, scores four points, and he's able to dish out two dimes, including a beautiful pass to Mike Muscala for his first ever NBA assist. It was incredible. I honestly thought he was going to swing it to the three-point line because he had a guy wide open there. I believe it was Hamadou Diallo. But no, he swings it towards there, fakes at the defender, throws a bounce pass around the defender, and Mike Muscala standing there wide open. It was awesome to watch Tail Maldon pass the ball. His vision is unreal. He also got two steals in this game. I've mentioned before, his defense really impresses me. His defense is something that I was not expecting to be this good this fast. It's not like he's an all-worldly defender or anything, but he's just competent and he's just athletic enough to stay in front of NBA-level guards, which his athleticism was questioned coming into the draft, and that's something I did not expect to be up to speed right now, especially with no offseason and no summer camp and, no I mean, no summer league, no training camp, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, for it to be this good, this fast, gives me a lot of hope for what it could eventually turn into as this Thunder staff continues to mold him into the player they want him to be. But coming up, we're going to talk about what this win means for the rest of the season. We're going to talk, talk about what Mark Dagnott did in this game and, of course, wrap up the MVP of the game, the Andrew Wiggins Award, the bet of the day outcome, and the Moneyball outcome all after this. 
The NBA playoffs are right around the corner, and Locked On NBA is here daily to keep you caught up with all the late season drama. Every Monday, Jackson Gatlin rounds up the three biggest stories around the league, helping to break down the NBA playoffs. Mark your calendars to listen to Locked On NBA every Monday to be up to date. Locked On NBA, available on YouTube and wherever you get podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. We're back on the Locked On Thunder Podcast, a part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your teams every day. I am your host, Rylan Styles. You can follow me on Twitter at Rylan underscore Styles. It's at R-Y-L-A-N underscore S-T-I-L-E-S. This is the only daily podcast about the Oklahoma City Thunder. We've had a show Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and now Saturday. And then we'll be back with you on Monday to preview the Jazz game. So Mark Dagnott gave himself a C-plus after the game on his first coaching debut. The team gets to shower him with water as he enters the locker room after his first uh, career NBA win. But I think that Mark Dagnott deserves higher than a C-plus. I think that he had a very well-coached game. The players praised him for his poise at, in, the, in the huddles during all those turnovers. And when the game looked to be falling apart and slipping away and then drawing up that play for Shea, they all said that, you know, he was constant with his message of 48-minute game and constant with his belief in the guys and, and talking about what they can do to improve and that he never showed any panic and that allowed the players to follow suit. And you saw the half them adjustments. I mean, you just had to. I mean, that first half, the bench unit was so awful. I mean, they were just god-awful. They looked like the worst team in the NBA when the bench was on the floor. But after halftime, that bench unit played pretty well. I mean, they, they played average, which kept them in the game. They kept them close and allowed the starters to come back in at the end of that game and extend the lead eventually to 10 points, and then we know what happened after that. But still, you even saw it with the bench unit somehow miraculously getting better in one half to the next. And Oklahoma City played a very fun brand of basketball. It was free-flowing. It was fast. It was ball movement. And obviously, those shots did not go down in that first half. Obviously, no one shot particularly well from beyond the arc. Again, we mentioned only two players hit multiple three-point shots. We get all of that. We know all of that. You want your team to shoot better from beyond the arc. But it was this team's first ever game this season. That's a big deal. And also, even as those shots were not falling, they were generating some really good looks. They just didn't go down. And that happens sometimes. But Mark's offensive style, his adjustments from from half to half, his poise, his confidence in the team, his usages of timeouts, his plays drawn up, everything about this game, I think, was A-plus for Mark Dagnon in his first ever NBA game. Will he be an A-plus coach his whole career? Hopefully, and I, I have very strong confidence in him going forward, but he was a little hard on himself, and we're all our worst critics, but giving himself a C-plus was pretty funny to me because I think he had an amazing game, and those players did as well. Those players talked about how much that they felt that he believed in them, and thus they believed in him, and he did a really good job. But I want to spend the rest of the show talking about, of course, tanking, and we're already seeing it. This is so frustrating. It's just so annoying, really. I don't want to have to have this tanking conversation after every win. Everyone has to relax. And there's so many reasons to relax, mainly because it's clear most people have only ever followed the thunder, which is understandable if you're from Oklahoma, especially. But tanking does not happen from game one all the way through 82, or in this case, 72. Tanking typically happens after the deadline. And whenever you are truly trading away veterans 
and you're getting young guys back and you're load managing and, and you're playing, you know, two way guys, a ton of minutes for some reason, you're playing Yogi Ferrell on a 10 day contract and he's going off for 25 points a night. You're doing all this weird stuff. That's when tanking typically happens. Number one, but also even if you want this team to go 0 and 72 from game one and you, and you truly want to, to look at this game as a tanking opportunity, then just evaluate this game as a, as a one-off game, right? So number one, you beat the Charlotte Hornets. You beat a bad to average team in the Eastern Conference. That might make the Eastern Conference play-in game, but if they were in the Western Conference, they'd for sure be the worst team in the conference. You beat a bad East team. That's all you accomplished here, and you barely did it. And if there's ever a game for you to win, it's this game right here. Because all of your players got to play extremely well, and they're the reason along with George Hill, that you were in this game. And on top of all of that, Shea Gildas Alexander hit the game winner. He's literally what delivered you this win. And that is a tough and that is a tough spot to be in. That's a big shot to make. And you would rather Shea be good in the clutch and Shea lead this team better in the clutch and Shea knock down game winners than you would him not. Shea developing into a number one guy or number two guy and into a big shot hitter is way more important than losing a one-off game to the Charlotte Hornets in your route to get a 14% chance to get the top overall pick. So all of that aside, right, if you still want to celebrate this as a, as a bad win or, or as something that is a failure to the tank, which is just so idiotic to me, look around the NBA right now. It is too early to be scoreboard watching, good or bad. If you're a team, if you're a fan of a team that wants to go win a championship this year, it's still too early for you to be watching the standings. And if you're a tanking team, it's still too early for you watching the standings. And look around at the tanking teams. The Kings are 2-0. The Spurs are 2-0. The Cavs are 2-0. The Kings beat the Nuggets and the Suns. Two almost mortal locks for the postseason in the Western Conference. The Spurs beat the Grizzlies, who are going to be around or in that playing game or even in the postseason. And they beat the Raptors, who are going to be like a top five seed in the Eastern Conference. Those are the wins that set back a tank. Those are the wins that are quote-unquote bad wins if you're trying to tank. And we still don't know if this team is legitimately trying to tank or not, although it's in their best interest to. Nonetheless, those are the wins that you steal against the Nuggets, against playoff teams like the Raptors and the Grizzlies and the Suns. Those are the wins that feel bad because they're wins you should not have. Beating the Charlotte Hornets is not a reason that you should freak out about this tank being good or bad or, or off to a good start or bad start. We all knew this team was not going to go 0-72. They're going to win about 20 games this year. To make those 20 games against teams you should probably beat anyway, the Hornets or when you play the Cavs or when you play whomever, those are the games, the Knicks, those are the games that it's fine winning because you've got to win some games eventually. But what you don't want to have happen is beat the Hornets, beat the Knicks, beat all these teams are supposed to beat and then also steal games against the Nuggets and the Jazz and, and all these good teams because that pushes you closer and closer to the middle. So even if you want to overreact, even if you want to look at the scoreboard, even if you want to evaluate this tank on a game by game and game to game basis, this was not a bad win. This was a good win. You beat a team you realistically should have beat or could have beaten. You didn't steal a win. Stealing wins is where it becomes a problem. 
right? Stealing wins is where you have to make up for it later on. It's the opposite of losing games to teams you should beat whenever you're a contending team. You've got to make those games up later on. But to have this massive freakout about winning games in a tank is just insane to me because we knew they were going to win 20 of them anyway. They're not even anywhere close to breaking out of this this tanking atmosphere. And then furthermore, all the points we mentioned, it's the Hornets, it's your young players doing it, it's Shea hitting a dagger. Would you have preferred Shea to start his career as the face of this franchise by missing a game-winning shot? I don't think so. Relax about the tank. It's too early to look at records. Let this team dictate who they are and enjoy this win. There's probably only going to be 20 of them. And one of those 20 was a down-to-the-wire win with Shea hitting a game-winning shot over his old team. It's awesome. Celebrate it. Enjoy it. Because you know what? The Utah Jazz are probably going to wipe the floor with you on Monday. So let's dive into this game's MVP. MVP right now. You the real MVP. The MVP of the first game of the year for the Oklahoma City Thunder has to be SGA. He got the game winner. He led this team with confidence. He was an amazing scorer for you, going for 24 points to lead this team. If he hits one more free throw as he goes 7 for 10 at the line, he gets 25 points, and he is on his way to averaging 25 points per game, as I predicted before the year. But he lived up to the hype. He lived up to what you wanted. He looks like the MIP he looked good. Shea's the MVP. George Hill is a runner-up in this one. George Hill deserves a little hat tip this game, too, because he was that steady hand for you and the reason you stayed close in this game. He was a huge spark offensively. The bet of the game outcome, I took Oklahoma City plus 2.5 from our good friends over at betonline.ag. Go there and use promo code Locked On for a welcome bonus. I took Oklahoma City plus 2.5. That obviously cashes in. The money ball outcome, which again is who leads the team in three-pointers made, I took Darius Baisley. He certainly took enough of them. He took five threes, but only made one of them. George Hill goes four for four from beyond the arc, and he leads the team in three-pointers made. So if you had George Hill, congratulations. If you had Oklahoma City plus 2.5, congratulations. I am 1-1 one one to start this season. We're going to be back on Monday to preview the game against the Utah Jazz. This is Locked on Thunder, the only daily podcast about the Oklahoma City Thunder. It was a holiday weekend, so if you missed any NBA action, go be sure to check out Locked on NBA. They'll get you up to speed and ready for this next week of hoops. Subscribe to Locked on Thunder wherever you get your podcast from so you never miss an episode as we pop these out every single day talking about the Oklahoma City Thunder. I am Ryland Styles. Follow me on Twitter at Ryland underscore Styles at R-Y-L-A-N underscore S-T-I-L-E-S. Be good. And be good to one another. We will see you tomorrow on Locked on Thunder. Perfect ending to a historic day. Hey, Prime members. You can listen to this Locked on podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today. 